Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. All right, we're going to get into the Word. I just wanted to say um, thanks for your prayers last week as I was ministering uh, in Brantford at Celebration Church. And uh, man, Pastor Jeeva brought an amazing word last week. Then he just uh, bringing such a great word to the house. And so, so grateful for that. We're going to continue to dig into uh, Acts chapter 11. And we're looking at uh, becoming an Antioch church. And so if you're just joining in on this with us, let me just give you just the refresher is that there's a church in the book of Acts, the church of Antioch, that uh, became the epicenter of, of the church. It moved from Jerusalem to Antioch. God's favor was on that church. Uh, because they uh, were seeking the Lord, they were focused on him, but they were also responding to his heart in mission. Up until uh, Acts chapter 11, the church was primarily focused on, uh, by, by design and by exclusivity, focusing only on preaching to people that looked like them and sounded like them. And in Antioch, there was a response to the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world and preach the good news to everybody. And uh, the favor of the Lord came upon them. There was evidence of grace. And uh, for us, the church of Antioch uh, represents, it's a picture of a church in revival. That is a church that's moving in the power of the Holy Spirit as it preaches the good news to the culture around it. I just want to say that if you understand the context of the New Testament, there's probably, uh, most uh, estimates would say that there was probably about 330 million people on the planet around the time of the first century. So basically, like the population of the United States was the way that the whole world looked. And there was maybe, I mean, it's, it's hard to estimate when you understand, in, in, you know, there was 3,000 converts on the day of Pentecost and churches began to be planted all over the place. But let's say conservatively, you know, there's 30,000, maybe 50,000 Christians uh, on the planet. There's no churches to revive. There's no movements to restore. There's just a sense of commissioning from the voice of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in one place beginning to spread out. And we're all here today as a result of it. So I want to say to you this morning... If you're feeling in any way discouraged about the state of the global church, hopefully you're not feeling discouraged about the state of our church, but just if you're feeling, oh man, what's going on around the world? The church just, you know, I want you to know God can do it again. God can equip his church again. And so taking a look at the, the equipping work of the Holy Spirit on a group of believers, not just revival is defined as special services and someone who's got a particular anointing that gets everybody excited excited and then leaves town or just having a great time in church and then going back to normal, but actually moving in the mission of God, cooperating with him in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the call that's on every local body. I believe that's the call that God is summoning us to put an ear toward heaven and say, Lord, if you want to do it again and you want to do it here, we're ready. Amen. We want to be right in line for what God wants to do in our generation. And so take your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 27 to 30. And I want us to look at what it means for uh, the, the Antioch church, for this church, Lake Mount, to become a prophetic storehouse. Everybody say a prophetic storehouse. 
This is what God is calling us to be. And so I want us to look at it. Verse 27 says, during this time, what time? The moving of the Spirit in this local church. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Let's just pause there. There were prophets in Jerusalem who migrated to Antioch. Because every person, hear me, every person needs to be planted. And every calling and every anointing needs to be cultivated. And so it's important where you put down roots. And it's important to put down roots. And we've been using the picture of a a greenhouse. That a healthy local church is like a greenhouse. Where the seed that God has deposited in you can actually flourish what other other factors might draw you or lure you convenience proximity to your house a good coffee shop nice bathrooms whatever other things might lure your attention what really matters is the prophetic storehouse that you can actually plug into and be called to flourish in the gift that God has placed on your life and so these prophets migrated they moved They weren't disloyal. They were wanting to prosper in the purpose of God in their generation. That's a good desire for every person in the sound of my voice. For you to want to flourish in the calling that God has placed upon your life. That's important. You need to be planted so that what God has placed on you can spring up through the soil, bear fruit, and repeat after itself. That's what God has for you. You're not, called, you're not called to just live and just kind of eke through and just, you know, try to feel God every Sunday. God wants to bless your whole life. God bl- wants to bless the work of your hands. God wants to bless your business. He wants to bless your work. He wants to bless your family. And he wants to do that in such a way that the blessing actually becomes uh, his presence resting on you. That as you begin to step out in great commission work, wherever you are, you feel the strength and the covering of a local church that's sending you and growing you to do so. And so we've been digging in the last couple of weeks, and uh, Jiva dug into this uh, again last week. We kind of came at Ephesians 4 the last two weeks looking at the, uh, the five-fold gifts, the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, and teacher, that these gifts are given to the church not to do ministry for the church, but to equip the church to become ministers wherever you're planted in the world, that you would, you would take what you do as ministry. I think that there's, there's, a, you know, there's a secret that's an open secret. That if we look at what was happening in Antioch, when the church took their walk with Jesus seriously and didn't just consider that there were professional Christians, but that they were being equipped by fivefold grace, then the witness of that church exploded around the world. That's all we need. We need to take that same mindset. So the five grace gifts... The ascension gifts or the fivefold gifts, apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, these gifts are people that God gives to the church and that, that those gifts actually equip the church to become mature and complete and, and, and prosper in the purpose of God. So these gifts help the, the church to flourish. And so like a hand, okay, like a hand, if, if, if one digit is missing, you know, if one finger is missing, you, you can manage. If the thumb is missing, if you're missing the apostolic portion, you know, you, you, there's going to be compromise in your grip. God gave us these gifts, and so your grip is better when all five fingers cooperate. How many know that's true? Okay. 
So, so there's an apostolic foundation that if it's disregarded, the local church veers off into unhealthy territory. It's, it's possible to function without a finger. It's nearly impossible without a thumb. And the compensation that the body makes is at best dysfunctional and at worst dangerous. So, so what do I mean? Okay, so this is just, this is just verse 27. Okay, so, so when, it, when a church is led, you can write this down if you want. When a church is led by prophetic people in isolation, so meaning the other gifts aren't there. When a church is led by prophetic people in isolation, it becomes experience focused. Gold dust and feathers. The Apostle Paul rebuked spiritual thrill seekers. And he cautioned about boasting about your spiritual experiences. Do you know, if you read the letters of Paul, he's often dealing with whom he called, in quotation marks, the super apostles. And the super apostles were people who boasted about all their spiritual experiences. And he actually rebuked it. He said, you know, boasting about all the angels that you've talked to and all the spiritual encounters that you had, uh, you know, that that actually causes for a lack of health in the local church. And he actually, he spoke of his own, uh, he, he actually had a, the Apostle Paul had a revelation like John did in the book of Revelation. He had a similar revelation. But when he spoke about it, he spoke about it in the third person. He's like, I know a guy who went to heaven once. That's how he said it. And, and then he says, and to keep me from boasting about these incredible revelations, God permitted a messenger of Satan to torment my flesh. And there's a lot of word faith people have a problem with that. But it's in the Bible, so I guess we have to adjust. So when the prophetic burden is hijacked, it either becomes excessively harsh and unloving or it becomes driven by paranormal preoccupation. And the church doesn't grow in its mission because its mission becomes mystical encounters and events. Next. <laughs> when a church is led by pastoral people in isolation, the pastoral grace, I just love people, I want to make sure everyone's okay. When a church is led by pastoral people in isolation, it becomes inward focused and small minded. When a pastoral burden is hijacked, the church languishes in inside politics and arguments. Do you know churches have split over carpet color? Can you imagine standing before Jesus? How did you treat my bride? Well, I hate the people who like red carpet. I'll tell you that much right now. And there's... There's, there's a test on church unity in pastoral matters when things become fiercely opinionated. Not like anything like that has happened in, say, the last three years or so. But when the church is led by pastoral people in isolation, what happens is in the effort to care for everybody, which is impossible, you, you just try to make a number of people happy, and then what ends up happening is you just have this happy little group that really doesn't like the other people. And so you have a small inward-focused church. There's a sociological study called Dunbar's Theory, you can Google it, it states that humans can only meaningfully know 150 people. Not just like in a group, like meaningfully know 150 people in your life. 
That includes your family. If you come from a big family, you're at a disadvantage. You can only know like <laughs> 20 more people and that's it. <laughs> you can only meaningfully know 150 people, which means the size of a church is never the problem. It's the structure of a church. Because you can meaningfully see, sometimes people mistake knowing people for just knowing who belongs to who. Oh, I know them. No, you don't. You just know she's married to him. That's it. You know those kids belong to those two adults. That's it. Knowing people meaningfully requires that effort is made. And so if a church is led in isolation by the pastoral grace, what happens is people just, you know, in order, oh, yeah, yeah, let's just, let's just stay small and focused, right? The church doesn't grow in its mission because it becomes focused on caring for and meeting its own needs and then eventually starts being focused on meeting its own petty wants. Next one. When a church is led by evangelistic people in isolation, it becomes conversion focused. And discipleship is eventually neglected. What do I mean? I mean Jesus called us to go into all the world and make disciples, not converts. Did you know there's a difference? Converts is the number of butts in the seats. The number of hands raised. And, and just speaking broadly, a lot of damage gets done when evangelism isn't tethered to the local church. How could that be damaging? Well, because people aren't called to just pray a prayer and then go on living their life, not want, like wondering what to do next. The New Testament doesn't recognize that. They were actually called into a family. They were, were called into the body of Christ. And so people are called to be discipled. We're to go into all nations and make disciples. I'm just going to assume you're writing some stuff down. You're not <laughs> just quietly disagreeing. I, so when the evangelistic burden is hijacked, sound, sound doctrine is abandoned out of misplaced compassion. I'm just going to spend a little time on this one. What happens when an evangelistic burden is hijacked? So forms of worship that are biblical are abandoned because we don't want to make new people feel uncomfortable. Which presumes I love people more than the Holy Spirit does. And then in my efforts to not make people feel uncomfortable, things like communion, like we just had communion together this morning. Well, that's weird. We don't want to make that weird for people. Let's just do communion in small groups. We won't do it with everybody. That's weird. We're not going to ask people to lift their hands. That's weird. I mean, if people don't want to sing, they don't have to sing. And so you start hearing exhortations from the front, like, hey, if you're comfortable, if you're comfortable, would you stand? If you're comfortable, would you lift your hand? If you're comfortable, would you pray with somebody? If you're comfortable, it's like, hey, if you're not comfortable doing any of those things here, good luck. Anywhere else, good luck. I'm leaving that church. They made me pray. What do you mean? Like, you, they thought you were a Christian? <laughs> okay, that's, that's at best. At worst, when sound doctrine gets abandoned out of misplaced compassion, what happens? Rainbow flags fly. 
and the church loses its way. Its message becomes socially acceptable good news, which is actually not good news. If you're okay the way you are, guess what? It's not good news. It's just news. There's no difference in here than what there is out there. It's all the same. And the church doesn't grow, but crowds often do. And its mission becomes growth. Its mission becomes numbers and money and influence without a firm foundation. It's what I like to call the Missouri Basin effect. A mile wide and an inch deep. Next one. (laughs) When a church is led by teachers in isolation, it becomes dry and high-minded. When the teaching burden is hijacked, faith is abandoned for certainty. Well, can I have certainty? Well, Paul said, I know whom I have believed in. And I'm persuaded he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. There's a knowing in faith, but the certainty, like if faith was completely certainty, then we would walk by understanding, not by sight. But we walk by faith and not by sight. And so some, when the teaching gift gets hijacked, what happens is people want to scrub down scripture. And in order, see, if, if the teaching gift gets hijacked, you can't embrace tension anymore. You have to be absolute and sure. And so I can't, you know, I can't appreciate things like um, I'm predestined into the kingdom of God and I've decided to follow Jesus. There's a tension there. I believe in free will and predestination. How do they work together? I don't know. God does it. But when it's hijacked, when teaching is hijacked, faith is abandoned for certainty. People are readily criticized. Pride rules. It becomes a seat of mockers. And the church doesn't grow in its mission because a 21st century Pharisee's ministry begins. Where you strain out a net and swallow a camel. And so these gifts... Like the, like the thumb touches all of them. In an apostolic cu- culture, the grip is best served when the church flourishes together. And we're going to look at it in just a moment. We just started at verse 27. <laughs> okay. In our text, these prophets come to get into a fivefold environment where there's evidence of grace. Not evidence just of gifted people, but the grace of God, the hand of the Lord is evident on the church. The gifts of God are without repentance, but what we want to do is continually offer our gifts back to the Lord so that he can move in them and be pleased in them. And the gifts that God places on a life should never call people to self, but should call people into community to flourish toward the mission of God. And so they, they migrated from Jerusalem to Antioch, because they wanted their gifts and their lives to flourish in a kingdom culture. They needed to be kept on track. The prophetic ministry will stir up the other gifts when placed in an apostolic culture. And the prophetic ministry is meant to lean into the voice of God for our time. So let's go back to the text now, okay? Verse 27. During this time, some prophets 
came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Okay, so prophets come down from Jerusalem and they get a word. They're in this greenhouse. Their gift is flourishing, not just their prophetic ability. They themselves, as the gift to the church, they are flourishing. They're becoming more prophetic. They're hearing. And can I just say this for free? Prophetic people don't need to hang out with other prophetic people as much as they need to hang around the other gifts. That's just for free. Okay. Anyway. They get a word. Famine is coming. Now some will teach that New Testament prophecy can only be encouraging. (laughs) Famine's coming. Isn't that good news? (laughs) Praise the Lord. That renders prophecy impotent. The prophetic voice is meant to tell the truth under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. At the same time, there is no ministry of fault finding or discouragement. So the the prophetic is a ministry of revealed truth with accompanying conviction. And listen, conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit. I can persuade you. I can manipulate you. That's not conviction. Conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit. So here we see this dynamic tension. These prophets have a word. I get the sense that together in their prayer and in their time with the Lord, as they minister to the Lord, and we'll see this in a couple chapters, that the the church in Antioch was preoccupied with ministering to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Ministering to the Lord, and then they did their mission to the world. You'll see that in chapter 13. They minister to the Lord, and that's when they get downloads about what to do next. Here the prophets are ministering to the Lord, and as they do, I I get the sense they're conferring with one another, getting this word about famine. There's a famine coming. It's not going to rain. People are going to starve. People are going to get hungry. It's going to be back over there in Jerusalem. So it's a couple things for free. The church is not in competition. Antioch is not in competition with Jerusalem. They're brothers. They want to help. They want to bless. And so they get this word and they have this tension because the prophetic kind of moves between knowledge and wisdom. So they get a word of knowledge that there's going to be a famine and then they get a word of wisdom that there needs to be some specific generosity that the church needs to rise up and become a prophetic storehouse. So the church responded. In verse 29, the church is referred to as the disciples. Everybody say the disciples. Okay, so this is not talking about the 12 people who followed Jesus around. This is talking about the whole church. The church is first called Christians here, but they're also interchangeably called disciples. And disciples are people who understand, I'm not just praying a prayer and sticking a label on myself, but I'm actually living in the disciplines of what it takes to be made more like Jesus. And the disciples respond. All who follow Jesus are disciples. That's you. If you love Jesus and you're following him, you're a disciple. And so the church responds, and the local church is a prophetic storehouse. You can write this down. It's a prophetic storehouse, meaning what? The word of the Lord comes to the prophets about what's happening out there in culture. Isn't that a better way of tuning in than listening to what's happening out there in the world and then having prophets tell you about it in the church? 
I'm just here to tell you how bad it is out there. It's horrible. It's dark and evil. I don't know if you heard the latest, but... I'll take Antioch, where there's prophets leaning in to hear from God, and they're speaking out into the culture, this is what the Lord says. Not what the headlines out there are telling us, what God says through the anointed voice. So it's a prophetic storehouse, and it's a literal storehouse. So it's Thanksgiving Sunday. I just want to say Thanksgiving and generosity are correlated. Giving thanks to God and being generous. I'm standing behind Sobeys. <laughs> Foodland, wherever, wherever we got all the superstore. We're just like drowning in food. It's amazing. Uh, and thank you for your response. Thanks for the generosity. There's needs in the culture around us. And the church is meant to be a prophetic storehouse and a literal storehouse. A, a place of blessing. I believe this. If you live generously, you will be blessed. And I believe this because the Bible's clear about sowing and reaping. That what you sow, you will also reap. If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. I believe in the tithe. I believe in giving 10% of your income into the local church storehouse. And I believe that brings us into powerful alignment with God and his provision. Bringing the first fruits of your wealth to the house of God. The first fruits of your labor, not your leftovers. Not if you've got enough. Leftover. But giving God first place, it's a declaration of what? All that we have is only because of him. A farmer might plant seed, might till the ground, but it's God who provides the soil and the sun and the rain. It's God that causes the seed to grow. The only reason we have a harvest is because of the mercy of God. Tithing is countercultural because it goes against the idea that what I have is mine. Finding Nemo, remember the seagulls? Mine, 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 mine. Mine. The average Canadian is a Finding Nemo seagull. Mine, 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 mine. But when we come into the prophetic storehouse, we go countercultural, and, and it's not mine because I worked for it. My talent, my strength, my labor, my effort, my gifts brought this harvest. No, the tithe says, God, I bring the first fruits of my labor to honor you because all that I have is from you and because of you. And so you're first. So the tithe and the generosity is a declaration of thanksgiving. God, thank you for what I have. It's only because of you. So the local church is a prophetic storehouse and it's a literal storehouse. No matter how spiritual we get, I don't know if you know this, but even in the book of Acts, as we're reading it, Reaching the world takes money. Like we can pray and everything, but it takes money too. Like the, the New Testament church wasn't like, we're just praying and mission's just happening. Praise God. But there was response. They're praying and they get a word. There's a famine coming and they're like, wow. Everybody get a bucket of dehydrated food and live in your basement. Some of you are looking at me like, what is he talking about? <laughs> it just means you don't have TBN. Anyways. <laughs> Reaching the world takes money. And the Antioch church 
was generous to a person. They responded to a prophetic direction and they met the needs of their day. That's prophetic generosity. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said the context of the last days would be as follows. He said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Anybody heard of wars and rumors of wars in the last 24 hours? But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes. Anybody hear of two earthquakes yesterday? Two in Mexico? No, two in Afghanistan, one in Mexico. There'll be earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Anybody who has a mindset that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ended in the New Testament era struggle with the words of Jesus about what it's going to be like in the last days. Because he said there's going to be false prophets. Now, if all prophets are false, you don't need any discernment. The evidence of there being false prophets are people speaking with the authority of God, sticking his name on what they're saying, but God hasn't spoken. But the need for prophets in this last days is correlated to the beginning of what Jesus says. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes. What do I mean? I mean... When Jesus says in Matthew 24 what the last days are going to be like, write this down if you don't write anything else down. These are, promise, these are not promises to be claimed. They're conditions to be met. What do I mean? I mean when you hear of an earthquake, don't set off a confetti cannon. Hooray, Jesus was right. Another earthquake. Praise God. Another famine, hallelujah. Jesus is coming back soon. It's getting horrible out there. Another rumor of war. Isn't this great? What a witness that would be to the world. We're so excited the world's on fire. These are not promises to be claimed. They're conditions to be met. What do I mean? How do we meet a day where there's wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes? We meet such things prophetically and with generosity, like the church in Antioch. What do I mean? What has the role of the church been? What has the role of the voice of the Lord through God's people been in times like this? Let me just pick one. Do you remember when Joseph had a call from God in the Old Testament, latter half of the book of Genesis, and Joseph has this dream that he's going to be a ruler one day. And then he tells his brothers, they get jealous, they sell him into slavery. And then he goes and he works as a slave for a few years. And then the boss's wife puts the moves on him. He runs out of the room naked. She accuses him of rape. He goes to jail. He lives in a jail for seven years. So the whole time that Joseph is waiting for this dream that he had earlier, this prophetic vision that he had earlier to come to pass is about 15 years. And when he's in prison... The cupbearer to the Pharaoh and the baker to the Pharaoh are sent into prison. And they, they were under his displeasure. And Joseph interprets dreams that they both had. And he says to the baker, sorry, you're not going to make it. Cupbearer, you get your job back. Please put in a good word for me. Another couple of years goes by. 
and the Pharaoh has a dream. And he has a dream that's sent to him by God. I would like to say to you that God is speaking to world rulers even as I speak right now. And if we get preoccupied with their actions and behaviors, Pharaoh wasn't a righteous man. If we get preoccupied with what we like or what we dislike, we'll miss our assignment. And I'm getting there. What, what is the assignment? So Pharaoh wants someone to tell him his dream and interpret his dream. And Joseph goes, I'll do it. What's that? That's a prophetic storehouse. And so he goes into the Pharaoh and he says, I'm going to tell you about your dreams. Here's what happened. You had these um, fat cows just living it up, mooing, chewing the cud, milk all over the place. They're just living the dream. <laughs> then you had these seven skinny cows. They came up out of the river and they swallowed the seven fat cows. And Pharaoh's sitting there going, Yeah. That was my dream. How did Joseph know that dream? God gave the dream. God gave the interpretation. In the last days, the book of Acts says this, in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, meaning Pharaoh and the church. He gives the dream to Pharaoh. He gives the interpretation to the church. God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. So what happens? Joseph nails it. He gets the dreams right. That's the word of knowledge. Then he moves into a word of wisdom. And he says, here's what you should do. When you've got those seven years where the cows are just living it up, you should build storehouses and pack, you know, pack them full of grain. And then when the seven lean years come, you'll be able to rescue and save the whole world. And Pharaoh's like, that's a great idea. You know who should do that for me? You. And so Joseph becomes the second most powerful man in the known world with a resume of slavery and prison. Because God can get you where he's going to get you if you'll just be faithful. So he has the word of knowledge. He, he, he tells him the dreams. Then he has the word of wisdom. He, he comes up with a solution. He advised that storehouses would be built in order to rescue the world. Do you know what Malachi chapter 3 says about the tithe? You're like, oh, here he goes again about the tithe. He says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse, that there be food in my house. The local church is a storehouse. So the chaos out there ought not produce chaos in here. But there ought to be a prophetic storehouse that anticipates the famine, the earthquake, the war, the rumor of war. There ought to be a prophetic storehouse that's nurturing how we could be prepared in advance. And then there ought to be a literal storehouse where the local church, not the arm of government, but the local church becomes the answer, practically speaking, to the world. This is what God did through Joseph. And in these last days, so this is what I'm saying, when Jesus says in Matthew 24, this is what the world's going to look like, those aren't promises to be claimed because that's a weird promise to claim. I'm claiming another famine, praise God. They're not promises to be claimed, they're conditions to be met. 
And we meet the condition by being a prophetic people who are in tune with God and generous in the power of the Holy Spirit to meet the need of our day. I believe this is the day we're living in. And I believe this is why God's stirring this word in my heart for this house right now is that if we could become an Antioch church, we could be a church that is not having hijacked compassion or being led around in all these random ways, but operating in the grace that was evident on that church, we could actually see the Lord work through us in such a way to respond. An Antioch church stirs the mature prophetic to warn of famine and then release the pastoral and evangelistic grace to care for affected people. The prophet says there's going to be a famine. The pastor says, people need food. The evangelist is like, and they need Jesus. And they're mobilized because God wants the gifts to cooperate. And so when we respond with obedient generosity, God supernaturally rebukes the devourer. And so could God equip us on this Thanksgiving Sunday? Could he equip us in gratitude to trust him for this here and now? Like either we're reading this going, isn't that cool that God did that way back then? Or... We could actually believe that God is the same today as he was back then. And that God wants to stir up a grace here where we could hear from God, not just about ourselves. Like we're not just trying to impress each other with our prophetic insight. But what we're, what we're aiming to do is lean in to the mind of the Lord for our generation that God could cause for us to be a prophetic and a literal storehouse that meets the need of a desperate world. Could we believe God for that grace today? I think it's worth praying into. I think it's worth responding to. So I just want you to close your eyes. Ask the worship team to come back. Because I think we need what... What the Antioch church had, there was the evidence of grace. I think we need that same evidence. I think we need that same grace that was on them. We, we need that grace to be revealed to us and, re and released onto us. First of all, I think there's some people here being called into the kingdom of God. What do I mean? I, I'm, I don't know how you made it here today other than the spirit of God drew you into this house today. And you're in the environment of the presence of God. Which means maybe you feel like crying, but you're not sad. What that means is you're overwhelmed by the love of God for you. In particular, he loves you and you're feeling it in this room. I feel loved by God. Can I just say you need to respond to him? How do I respond to such love? Will you witness what we did here in this room as we took the communion? Those emblems of his broken body and his shed blood, you need to metabolize what he did for you by faith. How? Romans 10, 9 says, I need to confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead. I need to divorce myself from every other worldview that offends the supremacy of Jesus. I need to surrender that. It's not Jesus and, it's Jesus only. I put my faith in him alone, the one who can save me. 
the one who can cleanse me, who can make me right with God. You're in this room and you're feeling the presence of God. You're also feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Without that, you're just confessing with your mouth. But if there's a belief in your heart, that's a work of the Holy Spirit who's working in you to come into the kingdom of God. If you're here and you're feeling that conviction and the presence of the Lord upon you, and you know that you need to submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, just in this moment, would you lift up your hand good and high? Because I want to pray with you this morning before we do anyone else, anything else. One, two, anyone else in this room? Three. Four. Are there others? Five. Six. Seven. It's the work of the Spirit in your heart. If, you, if I haven't acknowledged your hand yet and you feel God drawing you, I need to get right with Jesus, lift up your hand good and high in this room. Eight, nine. 10, 11, come on, the Holy Spirit's at work, 12, I need to get right with Jesus, I need to submit to Him, I want to be in His kingdom, I'm done living for me, don't put it off till later, now's the moment, when you hear His voice, that's when you respond, 13, 14, 15, 16. Would there be anyone else? Lift up your hand. 17, 18, 19, 20. You're like, why are they clapping? Because heaven's celebrating. 21. 22. Put your hands down if you haven't been acknowledged yet, but God's working in you and you need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. You're being drawn into the kingdom right now. Put up your hands so that I can pray with you. If you have not been acknowledged yet, I don't want to count twice. In this room, 23, 24. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come on, give God praise one more time. Thank you, Lord. Woo. Yeah, it's harvest time. And Jesus is producing conviction in the heart of people that we might know him. If you're here and you love Jesus, I want you to pray with those who just raised their hand. 24 people in this room saying, I need to get right with Jesus. If you're still undecided, I want you to just listen in while we pray. But if you love Jesus, and especially if you just lifted your hand, I want you to pray this prayer after me, good and loud. Father God, thank you for your word and the conviction of your spirit. Thank you for your love for me. Demonstrated on the cross. You took my sin, my rebellion, my sorrow and pain and you crucified it in your own flesh you rose again victorious and because of your death and resurrection i confess jesus christ 
is the Lord and God raised him from the dead. Today on that confession of faith, I declare my allegiance to Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and fill me and help me to follow you. Give me a love for God's word. Give me a love for God's house. And give me the grace for my mission. And I will follow you from this day forward. No turning back. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Listen, if you raised your hand and you prayed that prayer for the first time or in recommitment, in a few moments, I can ask for our prayer team to just come line up here across the front. On my right and your left, Pastor Paul Maines is going to be standing over here. We just want to make sure that we get to follow up with you, make sure that you have everything that you need to get started on your walk with God. I'm going to ask the whole church to stand, if you would, this morning. I feel like there are people in this room who are being stirred to obey the Lord in generosity. Some of you that have been on the fence about the tithe and about generosity. This house and its reach, it's as spiritual as it is, there's a body of believers who have gone all in and put Jesus first in their finances. That the seat you're sitting on, the toilet that you flush, the water that you drink, the microphone I'm speaking into, the lights that are on, the instruments that are being played. It's generosity that then from here is also the mission that's being expanded all over the world and the pastors that are serving and the grace that's being stirred. It's all as a result of prophetic generosity. There's people in this room, there's next levels of generosity that God is speaking to you about. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I would encourage you, get your treasure into the house of God and watch God build your house, build your house as you build His. And He'll put a heart in you for His kingdom. There are grace and gifts that are deposited in this house that need to explode into this world. And I, I want to just pray into that Antioch grace because we're living in what Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24. And those conditions need to be met by a prophetic and a literal storehouse. If you're in on that, I want you to lift both your hands. And we're just going to pray right now. You go ahead and pray. Lift your voice all over this room. Just say, God, I'm in. God, I want you to use me. Lord, I want your perspective on what's happening in the world. I want to see the way you see. Thank you, Lord. Father, we are in agreement as a house this morning that what is needed is the grace that you poured on the church in Antioch. For such a time as this, God, we pray, do it again and do it in us. Release a grace over this house that, Lord, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral, teaching, apostolic grace would flourish so that, God, your purpose for this church would be manifest in this community, in this province, and in this world. Give us God-sized vision that only you could accomplish it as we yield and respond to your voice. Stir up generosity in this house. Stir up the prophetic in this house. I mean, the Bible says, eagerly desire prophetic gifts. Go ahead and just ask God for the next 30 seconds. God, I'm asking you, give me greater insight. Help me to hear from you. Give me prophetic insight to you. 
to your word. Stir up the grace of prophetic word in this house, God. Come on, pull on it by faith. You're not just talking to the air. God, I want to hear from you. Give me visions. Give me dreams. Give me interpretations. Give me knowledge and give me wisdom. Father, today I speak your blessing over this house. And I ask that God, by your grace and by your Holy Spirit, you would equip us to be the mature body. And that God, even this week, we would look for and we would see. I prophesy that we're going to see souls saved this week. We're going to witness and people are going to say yes. We're going to see a multiplication, 24 people in the house. We're going to just say 24 people outside of the house. Even more, God, send us in the power of your spirit. And Lord, let us be fully aligned to the Lordship of Jesus and all we say and do. In Jesus' name, if you agree, would you shout amen? Amen. 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 Listen, if you need prayer for anything, we're going to open up these altars. If you prayed that prayer of salvation this morning, recommitment or first time, we want to pray with you, follow up with you. If you need to go, we bless you. Have an amazing Thanksgiving. Eat a slice of pumpkin pie for me. We'll see you Wednesday night at Tracks. If you haven't been, it's not too late to get in. We're digging in to the Word of God together. It's going to be amazing. Have a great Thanksgiving weekend. Thanks for being here. Be blessed. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device.